Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, thank you so much, guys, for leading us so well as always. Um, as Neville has said, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the next uh, foundation, continuing to build on Jesus, the foundation, uh, all the things that are really important that have been important right from the beginning, right through church history. We've talked about them over the last number of weeks. Talked about justice last week, and and uh, today, um, another important conversation for us to have. And um, Neville and Amy are going to help me out with that. Uh, as we go on here, I'm going to just I'm just going to introduce for a few minutes, and then I'll ask uh, I'll ask Neville to come up and then share uh, his story, and then I'll got. Get Amy up to share her story, and then we'll just wrap it up, if that's okay. Just want to do a couple of quick things. Um, I know we've you've already been inundated in some ways with lots happening uh, uh, this week in particular, um, but this event is selling out, and I think it is worth us knowing about. Um, I got speaking to Caroline, who leads up the work of care for the family here in Northern Ireland. And so they're putting together an event, a UK tour, and, uh, and it's making its way to Lurgan, Emmanuel, on Tuesday, the 29th of November. And so I know that seems a long way away, but they've already 180 tickets sold and uh, max out at maybe like 270 or something like that. Um, and so this has involved an adventure in the week. And, um, and my friend Donna, she brought up, put up a picture and said, there's a like, on a, almost like a scale, over here there's maybe a 2 or 3% of people that will come to Alpha courses that are ready to respond to, to faith. There's maybe 2 or 3% over here that are just like self-proclaimed atheists and that, but there's a huge middle ground here. And she was just asking the question, what are the people in there asking? What are the questions that those people are asking? I'm looking at the screen as if that's still there. But there's this massive group of people that are asking questions, and I think this helps speak to those questions, the people that live next door to you, the people you will encounter on your neighborhoods or at the school gates are asking, and it's around the mental health of our young people. It's around anxiety and stress and the struggles that our young people are have and are continuing to experience. And so Care for the Family have put together some remarkable people, some remarkable professionals that address this. And, um, and so I think it is worth knowing about, but I think it is worth you uh, inviting people, maybe school parents, people within your community to this. This is going to be really a really good event. Um, so please, please, uh, please make yourself aware of that. If you uh, want more information, let me know. Second thing, David's already mentioned the Genesis for normal people. And uh, if you do want, I know for some people, they are, they are happy just to come and contribute and be part of the conversation. There are some that will prefer their preference, get more enjoyment out of reading it along with a book. Um, and so if you are one of those people, please come and let us know. I'd love us that we'll be able to hand them these books out to you before we meet together Wednesday week. And, uh, and so we're going to do this 
Uh, they're going to do the Genesis series um, up until Christmas and see how we get on. And, uh, and maybe go again in the new year as well, depending on how we get on. Okay? Um, really quickly, Katie's, Katie's not here, but yesterday, it was a bad day, but yesterday I looked out the window and Katie was lining up her dolls, lining up her dolls one after the other at our outside, with this outside grill. She was lining up her dolls outside it. So weird. And I looked out and I just wondered to myself, it looked like she was preparing a barbecue. The grooms are good. The gro I take the grooms as positive. Baptism. Baptism. For those that have ever that have uh, went on the church website and clicked into what we believe, or beliefs, or statement of faith, uh, you will see there the Nicene Creed. And uh, towards the end of the Nicene Creed, it says, "We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church." And we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The Nicene Creed, uh, written, composed in 381 AD, still hold the, the truth of that creed, still hold today for us as they did back then. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We do not have the time in, in one morning. To, to delve into all that could be said about baptism. There are so many different modes. There are so many different forms that we could, just, we could take all day speaking about each one. If you are slightly nerdy like me and you want to read uh, a book that condenses it all, I um, can't remember the guy's name, but the, he's edited, he's put together a book called Understanding Four Views on baptism, and so he's got four different contributors um, to write the, their four different understandings uh, of baptism. So whenever you see the, the, the length and the depth of that book, it makes trying to squeeze the uh, talk on baptism into 25, 30 minutes seem impossible. But I suppose I want to just be able to share a few things that I think are important regardless of what your opinion or what your understanding has been. I'd love it that we are, are a church that, that values and acknowledges whatever your experience or understanding of baptism has been. So if you were to read that book, just know that there will be moments where you're like, how are we arguing about this? There's one guy in particular writes, about how he disagrees to the degree to which a candidate should become wet. That's where some of the argument goes to. How much water is required? How wet does the candidate for baptism need to be? Um, so that's, that's in there. You have to like, continue to fight your way through some of that. Um, but it speaks about infant baptism, it speaks about believer's baptism, it speaks about immersion, it speaks about sprinkling, about pouring, um, and gets into the nitty-gritty of how much water is the correct amount of water to use. But more importantly than that, there's a Baptist theologian who 
I really valued what he said. So he is arguing for believers' baptism. He is arguing passionately for full immersion. But he says this, there are two histories of one sign we call baptism. So if we were to go, if we were to take so much, we could, I would love it, but we could go and we could go right back to see where the whole thing around the history of infant baptism, and we could go and we could look at the history of believers' baptism. And he's saying there is two histories of the one sign. And then he used this language, and I, I think this, this works for whether it's a talk around baptism or no matter what it is. I would like to think that I can participate in and celebrate the integrity of what is other without threat what is profoundly my own. So you're going to hear from Amy and you're going to hear from Neville. And I'm going to share a wee bit as well. Convictions of our own stories of baptism. Stories that are profoundly our own, but we're willing, I think, I'm assuming this for Neville and Amy, I don't know what they're going to say, but I would love it that we're part of a faith community that, that still is willing to participate in and celebrate the integrity of what is other while still holding to what is our own. I think the church would be a much more attractive, beautiful place if we were like that with, with more than just what we're talking about this morning. Um, so Nev, do you want to come? Is that all right? Nev wanted to share, but I'm just going to stand beside him because I don't want him getting too comfortable with time, with time restrictions. All right. Um, so uh, baptism, uh, I was brought up in the Anglican Church uh, or Church of Ireland. Uh, so as, as an infant, I was uh, christened and uh, marked with the cross and christened. Uh, then at the age of 13 or 14, around 13, I was confirmed. And, and that was like, you know, the, the place where they kind of uh, were, it was acknowledged that I was taking on my own responsibility for my faith in God. And then when I was about 22, I, um, I was really hungry for God. I was uh, involved in, in, in a church not far from here. And, um, and they encouraged us, you know, it, more in God. There's more in God and, and, and um, more than what we just see now. And, um, and I was really hungry for God. And so at that time, they were, they were going to do what they call water baptism. Uh, and that was total immersion. You know, word baptize, we, we all know where that comes from. It means to be totally immersed. Um, um, and I'm not saying that's 100%, but that was my understanding of it. Now, what I want to say at that, that, I never felt that that meant that I, anything that I had practices I had done before, as in christened as a child or uh, confirmed as a young person, I never really felt that that was like nullified those. Um, it was just, I was hungry for God. Uh, hope, hope I still am hungry for God, but um, I was really hungry for God and it was like, um, this opportunity to make a public declaration. Um, I'm not so sure public declaration as in I understood the sense of, um, you know, the people that was in the room, uh, more just a public declaration before God that I, I wanted everything that God had for my life. And so simply read it somewhere and heard it preached on and, and, and got it 
got it done. One, one other thing I want to say, if that's okay. When I got baptized, I didn't have all my ducks in the row. I, I, I honestly, like, I look back at that time of my life and it was very, very chaotic. Um, sometimes it still is chaotic, but um, I just felt it was the right thing to do. And, um, and then also as I look back, and I think about it now, it was for me more than it was for anybody else. It was a chance for me just to say, God, I'm serious about you, and I'm serious about being baptized as in, I want everything from you. Okay. Well, that was a proper ending. That's good. No, I appreciate that. That ducks in a row, we'll come back to that. Um, so if you're anything like Neville, you just, and you just are not sure, and you want to be 100%, just get it all, do it all. Nav's just got everything that's available. So uh, you can be like Neville, get uh, baptized as a child, christened, confirmed, immersion. He's sorted, he's covered. We know we'll see him in heaven. Um. Amy, come and share a wee bit of your story, please. Um, yeah, so I probably have a slightly different story to that in that I was sprinkled as an adult, or at 16 anyway, but uh, by choice I was sprinkled um, and just to clarify, I don't know that sprinkling's the right term because I was definitely soaked. Like, <laughs> I was definitely wet. So <laughs> I feel like sprinkling doesn't quite do justice to uh, the amount of water that was used. But anyway, um, I, as a baby, uh, we attended a church that practiced uh, adult baptism or water baptism. And so when I was a baby in that church, uh, I was dedicated. Uh, we had a dedication service for me. And so I, then fairly soon after, not fairly well, when I was still quite young, we moved to a church that was then, would have practiced christenings or infant baptisms. And so that became the church that I grew up in. That was the church that I suppose I would call like my home church. It was the church where I was surrounded by people who had seen me from a very young age and grew up um, into my teenage years. Uh, and I suppose as well to say when I became a teenager, I went to a youth club. Uh, so that was like, a, that was a Presbyterian church. And I went to a youth club then at a Pentecostal church and did, went to an evening service there. So if that doesn't give you a good illustration as to how varied my experience of church is, <laughs> um, that's probably a, a good example of that. But I then heard at this, this church where I was going to the youth club at, they talked a lot about adult baptism and it was quite a, a big part of their calendar. It was probably a couple of times a year they would have had a baptismal service. Um, and I suppose, so it was around the age of 16 that I felt called by God in, in taking this step and into to being baptized myself. Um, and although it wasn't the church, although the church that I was brought up in didn't overly talk about baptism for adults if you hadn't been baptized, I really felt like God wanted me to get baptized in this church that I'd been brought up in. Um, and so for me, it didn't really matter the method that they were going to use. What mattered was that this was like my family. This was my spiritual family. These were people who had seen me grow up, and I just felt like it was a really important thing for me to be baptized in their presence and in that church. 
And I suppose as well, because at that point, there really wasn't many young people in the church. I was about 16, and there were some younger children, and then there was 30, late 20s and 30-year-olds, so there wasn't really many people. And so for me, it felt like a bit of a, a testimony to them to say, like, there are still young people who love Jesus, and it's not like this isn't, the church isn't dying necessarily. And so for me to be able to do that uh, in that room with all those people around me it just felt really important. And so that meant that I got sprinkled. I don't feel like that means any different to sprinkled or soaked. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, it didn't really matter. And even now as an adult, when I hear people talking about immersion, it doesn't, I don't feel like I need to do that differently because I feel like there is real importance in the way that I was baptized. Honestly, that is my favorite. I didn't know that's that until Amy told her that with us during the week. And it is my favorite baptism story because I think it, it speaks into wherever we go, whether it's right back to the story of Abraham, into the, what took place in the New Testament, or what's taken place right throughout, right throughout the early church up until now. The mode and the form, I don't know what you've been told, but I think the mode and the form is secondary to the, the intentional act of saying, Jesus, I'm doing this. I'm making a public declaration of faith. But more than that, and that's why I love Amy's story, the recognition that I'm part of a family, I'm part of a community. And that's, I'd love to, for more than anything else, take away Amy's story because the, the reality is it takes a church community to baptize well. It takes, it takes a church community. I'm, and so some of my frustration with not just in baptism, but with almost like the church and Christendom with myself, is that we have come to believe faith is this thing between me and God. We've come to believe that baptism is this thing that we do between me and God. This personal, uh, it's this personal privatized faith that I want to suggest that is completely alien to scripture and it is completely alien to church history. To be baptized and again, we'll look, at, we'll look a wee bit at Abraham and New Testament and church history really quickly. But to be baptized was to be baptized into a community. It was not just, it was, it, it, the understanding of baptism, regardless of the, whatever form or mode, it was always baptized into church. It was always baptized into a community, baptized into a family. And so part of me would love to spend even longer to go right back to the history, to go right back to the story of the Israelites at the, in Genesis 12 and beyond and see how the Israelites, because this is part of our story, we go back, right back to the Israelites and we see how the Israelites initiated their children into the faith of Israel by circumcision. And I don't want to talk too long about that, but, but they were initiated into the faith of Israel when they were eight days old. It's part of me can't believe they didn't do it, but I, one of the things that has, I have always, anytime it comes to the conversation around infant baptism or anything other than what I was immersed in, pardon the pun, the, all I knew, all I, all I ever thought or experienced had been taught was a, was a full immersion, this thing between me and God that I had to do as, an, as a thing before him. And I'm not dismissing that, but, it was, but come to discover it was so much more than that. And so I, the, the, my problem was that I just had caricatured everybody that thought differently than me. 
I stereotyped all these people that, I, that in, my, in my superior wisdom had got it wrong. What I've tried to do over the last number of years is listen to the best arguments for people that I would have normally disagreed with. I started to listen to the best arguments for infant baptism and I found it, I actually found it so beautiful. So I never want to take away from the beauty and the wonder and the call to, uh, to, to believers' baptism. If, if you have not experienced any type of baptism, we would, we would want to encourage you to, uh, to be baptized. We're going to, we want to offer that. We'll mention that at the end. But the early church, the early church, if we were to jump a couple of centuries, the, the early church fulfilled circumcision with infant baptism. And infant baptism was the first step in the journey into Christian faith. And so I know there's loads of questions, maybe for those for those in the room that for those in the room that are being baptized as infants, that's that's your story, that celebrate that, you still sit with that. And maybe there's some that you haven't learnt or been taught or discovered some of the reasons or some of the teaching around it. I'm not going to spend long doing that this morning. But for those that practice infant baptism, they view it as a seed. Bring the, bring the child, whether it's eight days old or however many days old it is, um, it's a seed of grace and faith that is planted in the heart of a child. And the challenge is, that without the nurturing of that seed, this is why it's so important to be baptized into family, into community, into church. Without the nurturing of the seed, it, it withers, it dies. That, that faith, that grace that was planted in the heart without the nurturing of a faith community, without the nurturing of a church community, uh, withers. So I would, would love to say today there's some highlights that I would, without getting too far into the weeds here, baptism, whether it's, whether it's infant or whether it's what Amy's talked about or whether it's what Neville's talked about, I think it needs to be seen for what the Bible says. And I think the Bible continually shows us that it is a beginning of a journey that God initiates. So no matter who we are or what, mode or form your baptism has or has not yet taken. It is the beginning of a journey that God initiates. It's the, it is, baptism is the gospel embodied, the gospel presented. It's a public act of something that God has done for us, something he has initiated. I would say, suggest whether it's infant or as a 16 year old or as an adult whether it's been immersed sprinkled or fully uh, or soaked whatever it has been can't, I can't help but keep going back to Abraham because Abraham uh, circumcised Isaac eight days old and the call was to circumcise all of the boys at eight days old and so circumcision both made the child a member of the covenant people and it also launched them into a journey with the covenant people. 
And if we were to go, if we had time, we could go into Colossians chapter 2 and see what Paul says. And I think what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2 is that what was the case with circumcision is now the case with baptism. I'm suggesting that. Like, let's talk about that. I think what Paul is saying, maybe I should just read it so you don't think I'm just making this up. Um, to verse 12, uh, having been buried with him in baptism and raised, I'll go to verse 11, in him you were circumcised, the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in the, your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. There's something about that language that is so rich and beautiful, no matter what the different views or opinions could be in this. God made us alive together with Christ. And what seems to be Paul suggesting, again, I'm not certain on this, but what was the case with circumcision is now the case with baptism. And we could go back into the whole the whole Old Testament narrative and say it's family-based covenants. All about calling a family. It was all about making the whole family part of the covenant people. It was almost making a mark in the child's life to launch them into the journey of being part of a covenant people. And so even though it hasn't been my practice, it hasn't been my experience, there's something about it that I think I could participate in and celebrate because there's something biblical and beautiful about a father and mother being brought into a covenant that then brings the rest of the family along. And then the responsibility of the father and mother, but also the whole covenant people, the whole church community, was to nurture the child in the covenant faith. That's what was taking place. That's what seems to be taking place the whole way through or the story of um, the Old Testament. So we could, go right, we could go to 1940s, 1950s, and hear what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, he says, the practice of infant baptism cannot be directly proven in the New Testament, but it can nevertheless be seen as probably there. I just love that. Like, he's not, he's not, he's not like being aggressive with this. He's not militant with this. He's just saying, I think there is something of it there. Can't be completely proven, but it's probably there. I like that. It's a generous theologian. That's the sort of theologian that I can listen to. And so again, we could, if we could loads of time, we could go into the story of the New Testament. And the, the beautiful thing about the New Testament is that we see Jesus. So if we want to follow the way of Jesus, baptism is really important. I do think that there is, there is room for us to uh, share our thoughts and opinions around, again, modes and forms, but baptism, it seems, is like, a, in some ways, a non-negotiable. Like, if we want to follow the ways of Jesus, he, even though we need to know forgiveness of sins, he, he exemplified what it, what it was to go through uh, the waters of baptism, to make this public act, to launch himself, to, for him to show that he was part of this community of faith. He was part of this covenant people. 
and uh, and I and so if Jesus is going to be baptized, then as followers of Him and His way, I think it's something that we should seriously consider. And again, we could keep going. We could keep going through all these different places. We could see Jesus even encouraging us as His followers that in His the words in the Great Commission that you would baptize, you would teach others His way, you would baptize them, teaching them all that He has commanded us. Um, and we could go through Romans. We could go to Romans chapter six. Actually, let me read Romans six because I think it's again so rich. Verse three. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Beautiful. We could go and read what Peter has to say. We could go and read what Paul has to say. It's everywhere. It's really important. Um, it's really important. Whenever you get to the story of Acts and you, you get caught up, we're now into the New Testament narrative after sharing some thoughts with you in the old. But in the New Testament, over and over, we see the mention of the word households. We see over and over. So you could go to Acts, maybe Acts 14, 15, maybe where it starts, and begin to see how the gospel is going everywhere. It's moved from Judea and um, Jerusalem and Judea, and it's starting to move to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Paul arrives into these households that have never heard the gospel, never heard about, about Jesus, never heard all that was available to them because of the extent of his mercy and his grace and his kindness. And we see entire households being baptized. I just want to stay here too long. Whenever you, whenever you do any sort of digging into what a, a household looked like in the New Testament, you will see that there was slaves and there was the free there was all sorts of backgrounds there was babies there was children there so everybody entire households were baptized and so all the questions we have well, what about what about understanding should they haven't made it they haven't made a profession of faith to have and i get all of those questions i get all of those queries but here we have paul over and over, going to various places, going to entire households and baptizing entire households. And again, we can talk about that, but I think if it, I just had like just reading that this week and being like, entire households were baptized. You just like so caught up by this idea that he were they were now being launched into a journey of a covenant people, and it became part of the this new covenant people to nurture and. Nurture what had been, the seed that had been sown. I read from a guy, and I think this is, this is helpful too. There's a guy, um, Scott McKnight, who is he's a strong defender of a uh, promoter, or whatever you want to call it, of infant baptism. But he said infant baptism, apart from family and church nurture, is magical superstition that does more damage than good. So he's, he's, he's passionate about infant baptism, but he's still saying if it is not done in the nurture of family, if it is not done within the nurture of church, then it probably does more damage than good. And I'm wrapping up now. I'm wrapping up with this, another quote from a guy, Alexander 
Schmemmen. What a cool word to say. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, but it's how I like to say it. Alexander Schmemmen says, not even the most, and this is touches a wee bit. I wasn't going to share this quote, but then Neville's talking about he was baptized even when he still didn't have all his ducks in a row. He still hadn't it all worked out. And I think this guy speaks a wee bit to that. He says, not even the most gifted thinkers know what they are getting into when they're baptized as adults. It takes a lifetime to understand. And he goes on to say that we are not, and I love this, we're not saved by our knowledge. And our baptism is not dependent on our grasp of the mysteries of our faith. Baptism, it's not the result of passing a test of theology. We go and see that in the lives of children in the Old Testament that were eight days old. We could go and see it in the lives of people who had just responded to the gospel. It was their first time hearing it, and they were immediately baptized. It is not a matter of having all our ducks in a row or knowing all the mysteries of our faith. It's not the result of passing a test of theology. And so I'll finish with this. I'd love to enter into some more conversations around this, if you want to. Like if there's some stuff that I'm saying that you're just not tracking with or you don't like, like let's talk about the modes and the forms. But I, th- I hope you've heard enough to know at least it's the most important part is that you're being baptized into family. You're being baptized into community. You're being baptized into church. And so we want to we want to offer that. We have the we have the joy of having friendship with uh, Clive and our friends across the road in Rich Hill Elam. And their building is available to us. And so we want I want to put it out that we would love if you are ready and you want to, to be baptized by full immersion, there's a tank over there. If you're afraid of water, you've heard this morning, there's alternatives. Um, we'll let Amy do some sprinkling or pouring. Um, but seriously, if, if you haven't been baptized, let's have a conversation, please. We'd love, to, we'd love that to be the next part of your journey of of faith. And so when it comes to this, well, maybe, I don't know if it's in your head, but sometimes I see the value and the, the, the blessing from so many different opinions and so many different thoughts. And sometimes it's like, who's right, who's wrong? That's so, for me, that's just so unimportant, like that question. But I don't think it's a matter, that's not what we're, that's not what's most important here. We're not saying, Who's right? Is it those that baptize adults or is it those that baptize infants? Is it those that do immerse fully or is it those that, or to what degree do you get wet? I think the most important thing and the question that I would love us to be considering around all of this is who disciples well? Not who's right or who's wrong, but who is discipling children? Who is discipling children well? Who is discipling adults? people new to faith, who is discipling well. That's, I think that's where the success, the, the fruit lies.
So let me pray for us. Or Neville, let me pray for us.